So tonight I would like to talk about, kind of continue on this theme of inner freedom and relaxation. But tonight I'd like to talk about inner freedom and relaxation that comes from wisdom, that comes from clear seeing, comes from insight and understanding. So once again, the inner freedom and relaxation that we're talking about when we discuss the Dharma, practice the Dharma, of course, it's not a superficial relaxation. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's much, much deeper than sort of conventional notions. It's uh, transformative. It transforms consciousness. It unburdens our hearts. frees us. And we begin this process in many ways by trying to cultivate a wise attitude like I spoke about a couple nights ago, this attitude of being more allowing, more accepting, being more open, letting go of the agenda, which kind of closes us down, puts us in a box. And also the inner freedom that comes when we discover what wise effort is for us. Each person is different. But for all of us, it really means gentle perseverance, you know, cultivating patience, kindness with oneself, with others, yet at the same time perseverance, not giving up, not letting doubt undermine our effort, not letting the obstacles prevent us from continuing on with this journey. So the wise effort, of course, is directed, I'm sure you know by now, by being mindful, making that effort to be mindful. And certainly early on in the retreat and early on in one's years in practice, it usually takes much more effort to be mindful. You know, it takes the, it's, it's hard to work in some ways to be present uh, when one first begins, um, begins the practice. But after a while, you know, mindfulness becomes a little bit more natural, more accessible, more available to us. And again, the quality of mindfulness is this loving attention. That's the power of mindfulness, is that non-judgmental loving attention. It's silent. Silent. It it opens to experience exactly as it is, without any preconceptions of how things are supposed to be, without any preconceptions about how things are not supposed to be. Of course, our thoughts are full of, of ideas about how our experience should be, should be more concentrated, should be more peaceful, the hall should be more warm or more quiet or uh, things shouldn't be going this way. And after four days, I'm still having wandering minds and mind and it shouldn't be that way. And that's, of course, our thinking, our conditioning. That's not mindfulness. Mindfulness simply meets thought, opens to it, sees it very directly, uh, doesn't cling to it, doesn't react for or against, it just knows the experience very directly. Another way of describing mindfulness, of course, is loving attention. And so it's a deep form of relaxation for the mind to begin to engage in this mindfulness practice. In fact, one of my many theories about why people have so much sleepiness in the first couple of days of the retreat is simply because we are beginning to practice mindfulness, which supports this condition in the mind to begin to relax. We're we're engaging in something that's fundamentally different than what we're used to doing. 
fundamentally different. You, you, you can't underestimate how deep the journey is. It's full of challenges and full of joy. But it's not a small undertaking to begin to take a look at your experience and to see if you can come into a, a new relationship to it, a new relationship which leads to freedom from suffering. It's not a, just a superficial fad. It's, it's a way of living, not just on the cushion, but in your life. So through this training, this wise effort to be mindful, to be more allowing, what happens to the mind is the mind begins to change. We develop a capacity to pay attention in a more sustained way. It's very true um, on retreats. For, for so many of us, uh, people come in and they, they're kind of a little bit down in themselves often and, and often report the fact that they see the wandering mind and that there's big gaps in their practice. And uh, when I hear that, it, I don't get discouraged by that. What I realize is that people are just being more mindful. You know, we're noticing, we're seeing things uh, more clearly. We're seeing things more frequently. Uh, instead of being lost 16 hours a day, nobody's wandering for 16 hours a day on this retreat. There's many, 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 many more moments of mindfulness uh, than that. And so as we get to pay attention to our experience, our life as it's unfolding, in a more sustained way, the mind begins to learn. The mind begins to learn, begins to see, begins to notice. It begins to feel things that it didn't feel. It begins to open to experiences that were previously unconscious. They become more conscious. They come up to the surface. And we learn from that particularly if we apply loving attention to what arises, then the mind really learns, learns something very, very significant. So, of course, in first opening, usually the first insight that most people have is that the mind is really out of control. You sit down and it just goes crazy. It's very resistant. Uh, the conditions can be great, all of that, and yet, at the same time, the mind is very unhappy with things as they're unfolding. It's very distracted. It's full. The mind often is full of conflict, judgments, comparisons, constantly evaluating in terms of success and failure. We get caught up in our fantasies and desires, our restlessness and resistance. And, of course, seeing that is beginning to see things as they are. And that's actually the condition of the untrained mind beginning to see, beginning to develop wisdom. So what kind of discoveries do we make? Because certainly seeing that the mind is wild and out of control uh, is one discovery, but there are, of course, many, many more discoveries to be made along the way. That's often the first one and maybe sometimes the most painful or discouraging one. But if we continue and persevere on the journey, we make many discoveries, discoveries that liberate us. One thing that we begin to see when we become more present, as we begin to rest the attention and keep bringing it back to the here and now, is we get in touch with our bodies. 
One of the strengths of uh, Vipassana training is just that, that uh, there's an anchor. Uh, there's a place where we are training our minds to pay attention to. Um, this gives us access to the present moment. And through this access to the present moment, uh, we get in touch with our bodies. We begin to notice the nature of the body after we begin to pay attention to it. Uh, we get to know what the body feels like. Uh, we discover how it responds to different conditions. You know, it could be the conditions of food that you eat. Uh, it could be uh, the conditions of temperature, or it could be um, light, color, form. You know, the body is constantly reacting and responding. We have emotions, of course, mental states. We get in touch with those, too, for sure. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, and they have an effect on the body, sometimes very direct. Many people will report in working with fear, you know, beginning to include fear in the field of awareness. Many people will begin to report that um, there's a lot of body sensations connected to fear. And in terms of investigating the nature of fear, it's very helpful to see if one can observe those sensations in the body. You know, how does the con- constriction or the contraction express itself through the physical, through the body. So we get to learn about the body. One insight that we have as we pay attention to the body is that it's always changing. This is a profound insight, that the body is always changing. And that insight can be moment-to-moment awareness of the body changing, whether it's awareness of the breathing changing, whether it's awareness of that sometimes the body is in pain and sometimes it's not. And even if we pay more careful attention to that pain, we can see, you know, if we pay very careful uh, attention to that pain, we can begin to see that even that sensation in your shoulder that you might still be carrying with you might have started in the first day. Uh, Paying attention to it, one begins to see that it's pulsating, that it changes in shape, intensity, that it too is a form of energy, a form of energy changing. That's seeing it in that moment-to-moment level but another form of wisdom that begins to free us up is just seeing it in the long term how the body changes. You know, we begin to, sometimes that, of course, provokes fear in us. Um, but to begin to see the body change in the long term gets us in touch with the nature of the body, which ultimately will liberate us. You know, it's oftentimes it's this feeling that we, our bodies, our minds are separate from nature, and that creates a lot of fear. And it's very freeing to begin to see that the nature of the body, it's not separate. We're not separate from nature. We're part of nature. Uh, that brings a lot of relaxation to the mind, actually. We feel less separate and cut off and isolated. So we can begin to see our nature, you know, what, what, what we're made of. We're energy, uh, just like the wind, you know, just like the forms that we encounter in our environment. And that insight comes out of just silent attention. It's not, you know, theoretically, everybody probably in this society, in this world, would, would agree that the body changes, that it ages. But that awareness is superficial. It's through thought a lot of the time. Or it generates so much fear that it, it's impossible to, to be with that experience and to work with it in a, in a way that leads to freedom rather than just more fear. So people often will live in denial or they'll try to postpone the aging of the body and do everything possible. They get into a battle battle with nature.
other changing natures of the body, certainly one sees this on retreat in a very direct way, is that the body, body is an energy system. You know, it's up and down. You know, sometimes it's really low energy, as you're well aware of. Other times it's very high energy. You know, some of you may be experiencing some of those moments of high energy where it was just incredibly sleepy and sluggish uh, the first few days of the retreat. And now maybe still you're working with sleepiness, but maybe there's a little bit more energy. I, I hear this a lot in interviews. The energy starts creeping in to the practice. It starts creeping into the body. And we're not quite as heavy-minded. You know, that There's some energy that comes. And so we begin to see that the body is a changing process. And that begins to lead to greater equanimity. You know, to begin to see the energy low. When, when somebody's new and they come into retreat, and, and, and one experiences that intense sleepiness for a couple of days, most of the time there's a lot of reactivity in the mind. You know, because we don't, have, we don't have that perspective. We don't know that the body is going to kind of come back up. You know, of course, the body does. People who have been on retreats many times, they, they often experience sleepiness for the first couple of days, but there's more balance in the mind. There's an awareness that maybe the mind is going through this process and that it, if one keeps persevering and working through it, um, the energy begins to come out of the mindfulness practice. So we can see, we can have this insight uh, that the body is changing. And absolutely, when we begin to meditate, certainly in Vipassana practice, we begin to uh, become much more aware of the mind and its changing nature. Sometimes the mind is quiet and concentrated on retreat. Usually, maybe just for some people, just a few moments where the mind feels really quiet and it's really on the breath. Sometimes we have more moments than that. Uh, But tasting that concentrated state of mind. Then other times the mind is not concentrated at all. Sometimes you'll sit after the fourth or fifth day of a retreat and the mind feels just as wild just as wild as it was when it arrived. That points, that there's an insight in that. See, oftentimes we'll get discouraged by that changing nature of the mind. But actually, if we hold it the right way, if we can relate to the changing nature of the mind in a correct fashion, it leads to more freedom, it leads to insight. Because then we realize we don't have to identify with all these different states of mind. We don't have to claim them. Because their nature is that they change. We've seen the restlessness. We've seen the agitation. We've seen the impatience. We've seen the concentration. We've seen the joy. And all of these experiences arise and pass away. So maybe we don't have to cling so much to those states of mind. Maybe we don't have to struggle or push them away so hard. Maybe we don't have to sit and judge ourselves for different painful uh, states of mind that arise or painful emotions. Maybe instead we can just allow it to be there. Allow the experience to be there and simply pay attention, just observing its nature. If there's a reaction to it, simply observing the reaction. Just being mindful of the aversion if it's painful. Be mindful of the clinging if it's a concentrated, peaceful, joyful feeling. See, if we don't pay attention to the reaction, you know, if we're not mindful of the reaction, what happens, of course, is that we suffer. 
In other words, if we attach to those moments of concentration, what that does is it devalues all the other times. And we spend all those other moments, all those other present moments when we could get, actually could get enlightened, which is possible. We spend all those moments trying to get back that one experience that we had at the 815 sitting. And, it, and, and it's more than just a waste of time. It causes tremendous tension in us, and it also generates a lot of self-doubt when it doesn't come back. So seeing the changing nature of the mind, even the changing nature of concentration, as supportive as, as concentration is in our practice, and we need enough concentration for sure to have insight, to pay attention in a sustained way, we need to have a certain degree of concentration. But we also have to be careful not to attach to it. Buddha was really clear about this. The concentration itself does not lead to liberation. And the attachment of con- to concentration can create a lot of suffering in the mind. Because many times, the mind is not very focused or concentrated. So what to do? Other things, the other expressions of change in the mind. Something on retreat that's a, almost a universal phenomenon at some point in the retreat is we'll have moments where we're feeling very loving. Actually, We feel very loving, uh, connected with the people that we're practicing with. We feel very supported by everybody. Uh, and we have a lot of faith and confidence in, in our uh, decision to be on this path and a lot of faith in the path itself. Even faith, even faith in ourselves on the path. You, know, you can have those moments. And the next sitting can be completely the opposite. The next sitting, everybody is getting in your way. You know, everybody's bumping into you in the shoe room. It's too noisy in the hall. Everybody becomes a source of irritation, and you can't wait to get out of here. And the mind can actually shift in just two sittings just from from that place of feeling very loving and connected to a place where you want to get out, you want to get away, that you kind of hate everybody. People are coughing on you, you sneezing, (laughs) moving in the hall, arriving late, even though the teachers keep reminding people not to. Uh, So people do a lot of things that we don't want them to do. Uh, That's kind of the nature of human life. Uh, And so, of course, we're going to have reactions to those things. So again, the mind changes a lot. And it's extremely helpful to, to develop, in fact, essential to cultivate a bit of a sense of humor uh, around the mind and around what your thoughts will tell you and all the stories that the mind will tell you. If you take yourself and your mind and your thoughts too seriously, you're kind of in trouble. You know, practice becomes very grim. Uh, and there's often a lot of judgment uh, towards ourselves and towards others. So we can see that the mind is changing from one moment to the next. And that, again, is very freeing because that means that you're not that mental state. You don't have to identify with it. One can just open to it. It's more inviting to open to it if one doesn't identify with it. It's much harder to open to it if one claims it as me or mine. If you claim that anger is me or mine, it's very solid. It's very solid. It's very difficult to investigate it, to look at it, or to hold it in a balanced, loving way because there might be a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, 
a lot of remorse for it, a lot of judgment. That's identifying with that particular mental state. It's much, much more impersonal than that. It's a mental state that arises under certain conditions, expresses itself in a, in a way that's different than sadness or joy or peace. Or peace it expresses itself in a very different way. But that's its nature. Just like right now, it doesn't feel that windy. You can't really hear the wind so much. It's changed. So once again, as we begin to rest the attention in the here and now, we begin to become much more sensitive and aware of the environment that we're in. You know, we feel much more connected to the world that we're living in. You know, oftentimes people think, well, meditation is like you're escaping the world or you're escaping your environment, going to a retreat center. But really, there's an environment here too. And the environment here can provoke lots of different reactions in our minds, as I'm sure many of you have discovered. Uh, of course, there's no such thing. Uh, at least I haven't encountered it yet and never talked to anybody that has. Uh, the ideal conditions for anything that, that would last any more than one or two moments. Look at the hall. Well, there are some conditions here in the hall that may have provoked a reaction or two. Uh, maybe not. Maybe everybody's free of that. But certainly looking at the conditions in the hall, look at how they change. See? Sometimes the hall is noisy. I'll be sitting here and thinking, gee, this hall is getting kind of noisy. Other times, I'm sitting here and the hall feels really quiet. Really quiet. Sometimes the hall is cold. Other times, it's very cold. (laughs) And it shifts between those two places. (laughs) And yet, it continues to change because now... I believe the heating system is finally fixed. <laughs> it's been a problem with the heating system. This isn't norm, this temperature. Now it's a little closer to norm. Uh, but uh, usually IMS, we heat things at a higher level comfort. But even so, it changes. Looking at the other conditions in our life here, in this very safe retreat center in many ways, the food. Food changes. Sometimes it's your favorite meal. Really, really like what they're serving. Feel really grateful. Other times it's a little bit of a downer. You're not really totally satisfied. Maybe you're a non-dairy person and there's cheese or there's something about it that just doesn't strike you. Okay, so seeing meals. It's very difficult to always have a meal. Although some people do leave retreats claiming this, that they liked everything. Uh, But I think that's more the state of their mind. Uh, But food changes, sure. That's a a significant condition that, of course, is changing from day to day. Um, Things come and go. Uh, The bulletin board, another significant condition that we encounter. Uh, The bulletin board actually doesn't change that much. Uh, it's, It's almost pretty much the same every day. And same with the schedule, actually, too. Uh, but the schedule eventually changes. You see, if you p- keep paying attention long enough, uh, you'll see that uh, you're not in the movie Groundhog Day where it just keeps, keeps going on and on and on. Or maybe you are. 
and all you need to do is learn what you need to learn, and then it's time to go. Uh, but the schedule will even change, too. Retreats are impermanent. Schedules change. That's the nature. You know, that's, that's the nature of our environment here at the center. So obviously the common theme, when we begin to pay attention to our life, you know, what makes up our life, the body, mind, the environment, you know, everything we come in contact with in this conditioned world is that the common theme, the thing that links all of these conditions, uh, many of them are pleasant, of course, some of them are unpleasant, some of them are neutral. The common theme, of course, is that they're all changing. That they're all changing. And it's, it's undeniable, really, that they're all changing. One can, can ignore it, but that's, that's the facts. And, of course, what the Buddha asked was, okay, well, if the conditions are always changing, does that mean we have to suffer? Does that mean we have to suffer? And, of course, um, he discovered and taught that, no, you don't, you don't have to suffer. What the Buddha discovered, that to be free of suffering free of suffering, one has to understand the nature of suffering. To be free and liberated from suffering, one actually has to understand it. That is completely different than what all our training has trained us for. Completely different. Completely different. Our, our training has been to escape suffering, to escape pain if we're feeling pain, to cling on to pleasure so that we won't suffer. And to understand suffering, to understand the nature of it, of course, we have to pay attention to it. We have to pay attention to it. We have to begin to understand its root cause. We have to begin to see what gives rise to suffering. And we have to see this in a very direct way for it to be real. For it to be real, we need to be able to see it in a very clear, direct unmistakable way before we begin to let it go, before the mind begins to change. Just because the conditioning is so powerful, we've been convinced and trained and conditioned to believe things um, that aren't true. Big part of the culture, big part of the training, big part of the education, big part of the ads and everything that we get exposed to is that Pleasure is going to bring you happiness. Pleasure, and also uh, avoiding pain at all costs is the way to go. And the result of that conditioning, and that, that worldview really, um, is that it creates a lot of fear in the mind. It creates a lot of fear. Because as we see, from just paying attention to our experiences, all the pleasure that we experience, the pain change, all these, all these experiences, all these conditioned experiences, that nature is to change. So if we cling to something that's changing, we're going to suffer. If we invest all our happiness in something that's going to change, um, we suffer. It's, actually, the Buddhist teachings are not that complicated. It's very deep because it goes right to the right into, into consciousness, you know, deep, deep, maybe centuries of conditioning uh, that doesn't see, uh, that is ignorant or is deluded or confused about what actually does bring uh, liberation, what does bring happiness. 
So what we're doing here at this retreat center, what we're doing here in our practice, is we're not running away from our suffering. We're not running away. We're learning to be with ourselves. Fortunately, we all have, uh, we're all giving each other support, whether sometimes we appreciate that person next to you or not. We're all giving uh, ourselves that support to look and to, and to be more allowing and to pay attention to the discontent in the mind. And so it takes a lot of courage uh, to walk the path of awareness. It takes a willingness in the mind, a willingness in the heart to be here. It's extremely unusual. In this culture, we've gotten used to meditation and yoga and all sorts of awareness practices uh, that are designed, sometimes anyways, to, to, to bring us into the here and now more. That's a very different way of living life. Uh, so much of life um, has to do with being in the next moment. You know, so many of our hopes and aspirations, our desires and our fears, all are built on the next moment and not now. Not now, but the next moment. Either the next moment is dreaded or the next moment is anticipated, hoping that it's going to bring us something lasting. And that, of course, generates restlessness and non-relaxation. Restlessness and non-relaxation. We tend not to... uh, uh, We tend to live life habitually because of that. We we go from one thing to the next, really never, never connecting in a full way to what our experience is. And so often we fragment things in our mind. We think, well, this experience is a good one. This one I have to get through in order to get to the next experience. Well, that fragmentation begins to dissolve and break down in practice. That fragmentation begins to break down in practice so that we can begin to live our life more fully by making this commitment to being here now. Another profound discovery that we make as we begin to rest our attention, as we keep coming back to the here and now in a more sustained way, you know, for more than a few moments, mind gets quieter, it starts noticing sort of sequence of experiences. It begins to notice um, patterns, patterns of relating. We begin to discover in a very direct way just how the mind continually reacts to the conditions that we meet. The mind is incessantly reacting for or against whatever we encounter. Whatever conditions we encounter in our life, so often the mind is conditioned. It reacts. If it's pleasant, it's a for. If it's unpleasant, it's against. And this conditioned reaction instead of what we've been talking about on this retreat, instead of the responding to experience, responding to conditions you know, with awareness, this condition reaction limits, limits the way we respond to the experiences. It limits us. It, it, we continually end up carrying the past into the present moment through our conditioning. It's very difficult for many of us to relate to the present moment with fresh attention because of our conditioned reaction to things. 
because of the power of habit. Again, the tendency of the mind, and this is, I think, something kind of painful to see in a very direct way, like we do in practice, is that uh, when the mind is reacting all the time for and against, one, one feels very disempowered by that. It, the mind is very out of balance. You know, it's, it's out of balance. It's grasping. It's pushing away. It's struggling kind of just to stay afloat. Clinging on. Grasping, pushing away. And the reason we react, kind of the fundamental, uh, the f- fundamental delusion in some some ways that's uh, shaping or, or conditioning our response to the things that we meet, is this uh, understanding that um, happiness, that our happiness will rest on a particular set of conditions. Again, very deeply uh, held beliefs about if things, are only going, if things were only this way, then I would be happy. And you can see that in your practice. If only I was more concentrated, I would be happy. If only I didn't have this body tension. That was a thought that I probably carried for 10, 15, 20 years in my practice, maybe. Just, if only my body was free of tension. And uh, fortunately, uh, I kind of gave up the weight and sort of decided to accept the fact that there might be some tension in the body. So that if only mind state. By being mindful of reactions, what we're doing is we're beginning to train the mind to let those reactions go. Many, many of the reactions that we have are unconscious. So when we encounter a particular condition, we react. When we encounter a particular condition, we react. And so that's our training, that's our conditioning, that's what we've learned. That's how we think quite often. By being mindful of one's reactions, in other words, one encounters a set of conditions, like the cold in the hall, for instance. Let's use that as a good example. When one encounters those conditions, one may have a reaction to those conditions, and quite often the the reaction is some form of aversion. And there are many different forms of aversion. There's impatience, the fact that Nobody has fixed it. Maybe blaming the two teachers up front or the room staying cold. Maybe you thought we liked it that way. Uh, even though Larry's got three blankets on and I've got <laughs> six blankets on. and uh, We don't like it that way necessarily. Uh, so, you know, we can get angry. We can do a lot of blaming. Um, all of that kind of stuff uh, that we've maybe observed in a mind, maybe have it. Maybe we've been very accepting, just kind of working with it. But generally speaking, the mind uh, does have those reactions to unpleasant experiences. But being mindful of the aversion, in other words, taking those conditions as a practice, is liberation. Taking those reactions as a practice is extremely liberating. 
Because now what, what's happening is by being mindful, we're letting those reactions go, and what we're doing is we're transforming the mind. We're slowly but surely deconditioning the mind from having that same habitual reaction over and over and over again. So each time we're mindful, we're freeing ourselves of that conditioned reaction. We're freeing ourselves of that conditioned reaction. So when we talk about the relaxation of equanimity, this kind of inner balance in working with conditions that we encounter, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant or neutral conditions, uh, when we talk about that freedom of equanimity, it's very important, and sometimes I think this is a misunderstanding in the Dharma world, the Dharma scene, is that one becomes indifferent. One doesn't care. You know, that somehow practice goes, like one doesn't really care if the room is cold or hot. One doesn't care what the food tastes like. One doesn't care if the hall is quiet or noisy. Not necessarily. That's not where practice goes. Practice doesn't go towards being indifferent. Equanimity and indifference are not the same thing. Indifference is often a defense mechanism. Where equanimity goes is it's more an inner balance, a a non-reactivity in the mind, an inner balance, um, a mind that can respond to the experience in a fresh way, a mind that can respond to the present moment. You know, it's more appropriate, more relevant to here and now. Our reactions so often are built up from the past, from our history. But learning how to respond has everything to do with responding, guided by wisdom, or guided by compassion, guided by what the present moment is revealing. So it's connected. A good example to me would be this, where, where we're working with this cold in the hall. Okay? Obviously, it's changed. It's certainly a lot warmer in here right now. But you know, well, I'm watching my mind, you know, going through my reactions too, a little too cold, getting worried. A couple of people start coughing, and then I start really getting worried. And, and the first thought that doesn't come to my mind, frankly, is that I can do anything about it. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm you know, one of you guys. You know, I'm just here. And I don't think, well, you know, I'm going to get into action and do something about it. Uh, so it took a while, actually, to realize that, well, maybe I can do something about this situation. Uh, you know, maybe I can explore it. And so some of you witnessed the beginning phase of that exploration of dragging the maintenance guys in here and <laughs> trying to convince them that it was cold. And they were convinced anyways, but I was ready to argue that it was too cold. And... Um, you know, watching a little bit of aversion on my part, a little bit of impatience, you know, because, uh, you know, it wasn't happening on my schedule. It wasn't happening as quickly as I would like it to be. Uh, I felt a little responsible uh, for the temperature. And the maintenance fellow, Bob, very experienced here. He's used to some of the ups and downs of this condition phenomena called IMS. Uh, and he's used to fixing problems. Um, got, on the to- got on the case and really worked at it. Eventually, you know, got a, somebody in, and you know, there's been a lot of problems over the last two and a half days or so trying to get this thing going. And and uh, we maybe it is fixed, maybe it isn't. I mean, it's one of those phenomena that's uh, 
unpredictable, like so many others. But the point that I'm trying to get to, I guess, is the fact that um, wisdom is seeing that you don't have to stick it out in those conditions necessarily. Maybe there's, there is something we can do about it. You know, maybe there's some way that we can respond to the conditions, make them better, make them more supportive. You know, we, don't, we, don't have to, we, we don't have to develop an indifference, but if we're caught in reactivity, you know, in other words, if I got really angry, say, and went after the maintenance guys, you know, you know people paid their money, and what's going on here, and why isn't the center fixed yet, and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, what, what response do you think I would get? I'd get people kind of very puzzled and looking at me uh, and wondering why a Dharma teacher is reacting like that. Uh, maybe I need to practice more. Uh, sure, you, you, you tend to uh, you know, get a lot of resistance when we react that way. Uh, whereas if just going into action, speaking kindly, understanding that things are complicated, that's relating to the here and now. You know, that's, that's having a perspective rather than sort of the instinctual reaction that everything has to be fixed right away. Finally, a fruit that does come out of practice, kind of freedom or relaxation. It's a confidence. It's a faith that develops within oneself. And what that faith and confidence is built on is this knowledge, very direct understanding knowledge, that one can meet the changing conditions in life with greater freedom, with greater equanimity, with greater wisdom. The one isn't always going to be subject to the same reactions to the changing conditions in one's life. So there's the very profound relaxation in that realization that you know, when we change forms and we move out into the world and we continue, to continue the practice, the mindfulness practice, the awareness practice, uh, that um, it, a strength builds up from doing this practice, a patience, a, a wisdom, a relaxation, that allows us to meet some of the most challenging experiences that we can have. And we're relating to them in a fundamentally different way than we would if we, were, if we weren't practicing. We're relating to them in a way where we're learning something from the experience. And we're learning something from the experience so that we can then also become a resource for other people. So that people can learn from us so that we can share and be generous and support other people. When we're caught up in our reactivity, when we're caught up in our suffering, if we don't know ourselves really well, we might have all sorts of ideas about being compassionate and generous and caring and kind. But so often what will happen is that the untrained mind will take over and we end up just relating to the world and to other people through our agendas, through our conditioned reactions, there are all sorts of ideas about how things are supposed to be. So there's a deep kind of confidence and an unburdening of the heart that happens through practice. It's really unconditioned happiness. 
unconditioned peace. It carries us through the changing conditions in life. Okay. So let's uh, just sit for a couple minutes. May all beings have ease of mind. May all beings discover inner freedom and relaxation. May all beings be liberated from suffering. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.